Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hajj Asad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. If this is the first time you're listening to our podcast, thank you for trying something new. I will reiterate, Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists, but more importantly, we're really good friends. Isn't that right, Ben? Yes. I sense some hesitation there. Sammy, I, I want to let the listeners know that uh, I'm re- currently recording this podcast under a tornado warning. It's, this is super unusual for Montreal because we're like an island that's not anywhere near any planes. It's, it's a yeah. pretty non-tornado-ish part of the country. And I've had three tornado warnings in the last hour and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, a warning is different than a watch in the sense that, you know, to use the the tacos analogy a a taco watch means the ingredients for the tacos are there on the table and a taco warning means the taco has been made and is ready for you to eat so i i received three warnings so far on my phone two of them are for marine tornadoes and one was for like a a straight up terrestrial tornado Uh, they've been the wind has been crazy the rain has been crazy my basement is flooded uh there's been a ton of flooding not flooded actually actively flooding i sent yeah, sammy so a video of it like shooting water into my I face i really wished we like i didn't know what to say when i saw this i'm like i think we can you can handle something a bit more important than the podcast right now bad and ben news was like no but no the podcast, the podcast the podcast has to happen right now the rain has just abated and i'm dealing with like thunder and crazy lightning this is the second storm that's passing through so anyway all this it's to say, kind of like a rave podcast right now for you, rave po- podcast session. We're dedicated to putting this podcast on the air. This might be the last thing I ever record. Uh, so. Oh no! <laughs> well, we better make it a good one. Tell the people where they can find your latest work, Ben. Well, you can. <laughs> I mean, on Instagram right now, it's <laughs> it's mostly just storm videos, but you can find my car work at at Motor Trend, at Car Driver, at Haggerty, and at Inside Hook. And you can find my relatively dry content at uh, at where at driving.ca, autotrader.ca, Nouveau Magazine, and the Capital One Auto Navigator page. Um, okay, Ben. While uh, I got you, I'm sure you're sweating about your flood, your flooded basement or flooding basement. No, oh, I love it. It's fine. Storm, storm damage <laughs> going on. And you know you're you're frantically looking up uh, your your insurance uh, information. I got to talk to you about cars, man. Okay, I'm into that. I mean, sorry if I'm distracted by the intense lightning directly outside my window. If if I disappear at any point during this conversation... Uh, I'll carry on without you. Okay, that's perfect. Because that's how... that's It's a good medium you, for that. Do you want me to call somebody other than you if, I, if you disappear? I, I guess Thor? I don't know who you would call about lightning. No, Thor's already there if the lightning's already there. Uh, I So we're talking about cars, right? If you want to. Sure. We can talk about the storm some more. The storm is pretty intense. I, I, that's the word I keep saying. There was this giant rotating thunder cell directly over my house. I, I have, Directly over your house? Yeah, I'm I haven't seen... that your seance last night went wrong. I have never seen anything like that in Montreal. It's, it's pretty crazy. There have been some touchdowns in the area, and uh, a couple of nearby cities have also had active tornadoes. I've seen some videos coming through but it's really not something that should happen here in montreal this is super unusual like this is someone where tried to someone tried to summon trigon i think That's we're all happened. we're all about ice storms and blizzards like i don't need this kind of threat 
all four seasons. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, I understand. Oh, wow. The rain has just come. It's it's just like somebody just dumped a huge bucket of water on my house. Like, it's out well, of nowhere. Go and take a look and make sure that that's I don't need the, to go anywhere. It's right here at the window. <laughs> I'm sorry. I know podcasting is not a visual medium, and this is probably not interesting to our listeners. In any case... Getting back to the cars, uh, last week I drove the BMW M340i xDrive, and Ooh. I drove the, the oh man, dude, this is not good. I can hear it. Yeah, uh, this is, sorry to interrupt the podcast, but the trees are going crazy. They don't like this. This is, I'm actually going to put the podcast on hold here for a second. <laughs> Okay, and we're back. Uh, sorry about abruptly cutting the podcast off. Things got really crazy in terms of the storm. We had to take a bit of a storm break. Things are still kind of not so great, but we're going to try and push through because this is honestly the only time we have to record this. <laughs> I'm terrified that your chance, if if you need to be evacuated or run away from this, you have... You have very limited options, man. Yeah, I mean, I guess I go you to... You have an ancient Grand Wagoneer. I go to my flooded basement and just hope for the best. <laughs> At least there's plenty of E. coli for me to drink. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's kind of funny because I I drove this... So, we were talking about the BMW M340i. Uh, and I drove this vehicle to New York City to take my dad to a Yankees game. He's... It's his favorite team. He's never been to a Yankees game. He, in fact, had not been to New York since the 70s. Wow. So, yeah. Uh, and during the drive, there was actually a storm behind us that we beat to the city. And I could see lightning striking the ground in my rearview mirror, which was really crazy. What's happening here right now, and it's still going on. I don't know if you'll be able to hear this in the recording. There's constant strobe lightning right now. It's just like every five to ten seconds, I get three seconds of strobe lights. And it's to the point where I think it actually activated the touch-sensitive switch on one of my screens because I lost one screen for like two or three seconds on my computer. And then the other screen stayed on um, and I can hear it in my headphones. So, I mean, that's probably not the safest thing, but it's it's certainly spectacular and incredibly distracting. So anyway, okay, okay. back to the M340i. Why, why did I pick this vehicle to drive, Sammy? It's because I've always liked the 3 Series. Even though in recent years it's gotten a little soft in the sense that it's kind of turned its focus away from being a sports sedan and enhanced the, I guess you could call it the luxurious or the technological side of its uh, personality. Yeah. So I I agree with you. I agree with you. I think the the 3 Series used to be a really strong, like used to be the benchmark um, for sports sedans. And now either that benchmark is, is catering to a new demographic or or it's just focusing on something totally different. And that's okay because for my purposes, I wanted something that was comfortable and would be easy to park in New York. And I could drive, you know, for six hours and, and, and not feel completely worn out at the end. And I was hopeful that I, this is a refresh, right? It's not an all-new vehicle. But you I was hopeful. Yeah, that's I was, what you're saying. I'm sorry? That, that, that's what I believe from you. Yeah, so I'm, I was hopeful that... It would be like that. It would be like a mini executive car. Not mini, but, you know, compact size executive car. Okay. I was not prepared for the experience I was provided by the 3 Series. Uh, it was so much fun, right? There are parts it was of this so ca- premium. There are parts of this car that are still really good. And there's other parts that have taken a step backwards. And unfortunately, the parts that took a step backwards are the parts I was kind of relying on for this long trip. <laughs> What? Yeah. So what are you talking about? I want to take you back in time a little bit. A couple of years ago, BMW made an announcement. 
Wow, that's quite the thunder. BMW made the announcement that they needed to cut 25% from the production of uh, costs of each of its vehicles in order to stay competitive. Holy cow. Yeah. That's a lot. So the 3 Series that I picked up last week is kind of the first car I've driven that has been designed since that came out. Like, I don't really count the iX and whatnot because I feel like those products were already on the drawing board and probably completed. But this refresh is underneath that ethos of we need to save some money on production. How can we do that? Okay. I can tell you right away how they did that. They did that by making the interior far less detailed and interesting to look at. And by extension, making the vehicle less easy for the driver to interact with. Less easy to, to interact with. Less less interesting. Talk yes. to me about this. What do you mean by that? So, I mean, not that I think the BMW interior was particularly interesting, but I do think it used to be fairly tactile and easy to use. So, Talk that... to me about interesting. Go back to that first point. What is okay, interesting? Okay, well, I, I also want to touch on what you said about tactility because that's a big yeah. factor here. But in terms of interest... So the car has lost its gauge binnacle. Like the cluster is oh. gone. All you have now is a rectangular screen that's split oh. in half. So you have one half of a rectangular piece of plastic that's your gauge cluster. And you have another half that is your infotainment system. And there's no like, there's no binnacle over it. There's no rounded covering. You don't really have any classic gauges. It's just a screen. And so it's just an, ex- it's two screens t- attached together. One is the infotainment, one is the gauge cluster. Exactly. It's one, and it, and it looks like that tacked on iPad look on the dashboard? Very much so, split oh, on its okay. side. The other, the other factor to consider is it comes with iDrive 8 now. And there's a good thing about that in the sense that the, that the screen is a little larger and it provides you with more real estate to work with when you're interacting with the system. Too. I'm sorry? It's touchscreen. It's touchscreen too, I believe. Yes. The downside though is they've removed all of the buttons underneath that screen and i'm gonna you know we talk a lot about buttons but i'm going to single out bmw for having held the line for a very long time not only did they have heating control and you know cooling controls with full buttons so i could easily make adjustments to climate in the car they also had a volume knob and they had presets underneath that you could you could you could program for anything yeah it could be like a climate setting it could be radio it could be a navigation destination you would just push that button and it would it would load it up into iDrive. The other cool thing is you could run your fingers over the top of the buttons and just by making contact but not pushing them, it would show you on the screen what each one was programmed to do. So it was a very intuitive system that worked quite well. That's gone now. All you have are two defrost buttons and a volume knob. So every time you want to, yeah, every time you want to do something that's a little more complicated than those functions, you have to go into the iDrive system. And that is a hassle. It's a hassle for two reasons. One, if you're just using iDrive 8, it's irritating, but if you have uh, Android Auto running, you have to leave Android Auto every time to get to these other functions in the vehicle. BMW has had the foresight to put the temperature controls. There's like a slider for the temperature controls on the screen that's displayed at all times. Okay. But anything more complicated than that, and you are out of um, you're out of options. You have to go into the menus. That's awful. I'm not into that at all. I I think. I think BMW knows better than this. And again, do those controls require you to take your your eyes off the road? Oh, most definitely, especially if you're using Android Auto because it's always like a a three-step process to get back to the actual factory controls. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, 
So the other thing that this does to the dashboard is it removes all details and features. Like now you just have screens that look like nothing when they're off and you have a blank dashboard that doesn't have any buttons or touch points. And then going down to the center console, it used to have a shifter, right? An actual shifter that sticks up and you could use it to shift gears if you wanted to. But it, it, it was, you know, something you could grab onto. It felt sporty. It looked cool. Now you just have that little triangular nub like you find in Volkswagens and Audis and you can't use it to shift with anymore. You can put it in drive you can put it in reverse but if you want to shift you have to use paddle shifters on the steering wheel so again functionality that's disappeared a look that is decidedly less than premium and kind of a step back from the sporty heritage or as sporty as a, an automatic transmission gets i'm looking at a photo of the interior now and i see what you mean by that by this like um hvac controls on the bottom of iDrive. when you put it in android auto that that it looks like a windows taskbar basically of, pretty of, much like that disappears when you put in an Android Auto? No, no. You can still see just the temperature slider. And that's it. That's but if it. you need a heated seat or, or... Or you want to change from auto to, like, whatever, or you want to... Yeah, or yeah like exactly. That. Oof. That really is a bit of a heartbreaker. Um, I'm not into that. I'm not into that at all. I think we... we had. I thought we were past this again. No. Like, and what this... But we're not past this because if a company decides it wants to save money... The easiest way to save money is just to put everything on a screen because screens are cheap and buttons are expensive. And I don't mean expensive like they cost a lot of money, but I mean expensive when you're putting one button across hundreds of thousands of vehicles, it starts to add up. So it becomes Yeah, you've got to buy a bajillion buttons. Exactly, and build a button warehouse and then hire a button inventory manager. But more than that, it's an easy target for accountants when they're trying to look at things they can slice off of a vehicle. And, you know, after spending about a thousand miles behind the wheel of this car... I, it's not like I just looked at this and said, oh, this is going to be inconvenient. No, I know exactly how inconvenient it is because I went yeah. on a very long road trip and I had to use all of these features. And that's, I think, what the most frustrating thing is. The other, was another, anything easy about this system that no. like you found it, okay, that was actually a little smart or that was nothing? There's, there was nothing about iDrive 8 versus iDrive 7 that was easier. I didn't necessarily find that any of the functions that relied on the infotainment screen were better. I did, did you try the Hey BMW feature? No, but here's something really odd. When what? so my dad got a milkshake uh, at a, or a, a big gulp. <laughs> okay, yeah, that is kind of odd. A big gulp at a Seven Eleven. Okay, and we're using the cup holders, and he would take the cup, the the big the big gulp cup, in and out of the cup holder, and every time he put it back, it would minimize the iDrive screen or it would tact it would activate something on the screen. I was using Waze. It would it would push some button on the Waze screen and take me out of the navigation map. I don't know how it was happening. I couldn't replicate it. I thought it was like gesture controls or something going wrong. I could not replicate it on my own. Every time, though, he moved the glass, it would happen. So there's some kind He's of like... distracting you just as much as I drive th- There's some weird sensor down there that I'm just not aware of. Uh, okay. A dad, a dad milkshake sensor? I guess so. The other complaint I have about the interior is the armrests are not comfortable. It was a complaint from my father and myself. Over time, and I found the seats. I, I believe I had sports seats because it's the M340. I had trouble like feeling comfortable in them. They didn't hurt my back, and at the end of the day, I actually felt pretty relaxed. But getting in and out of them and like short trips, they felt blocky and kind of uncomfortable. Were so, they like just heavily bolstered, or I guess so, and and not super adjustable. It's it's just strange because. I specifically picked this car because the the model year before, I didn't have any of these issues. Yeah. So I was surprised by all of that. And all of that could be tied directly to cost cutting. Yeah, okay. Um, That's really unfortunate. 
but talk to me a little bit about uh, about ride quality and, dri- and the drive. I mean, this okay. I've always found this engine this uh, it's a straight six, um, beautiful motor, right? It's fantastic. It is the best engine in its class, I think, no doubt. Uh, it's a straight six. It's turbocharged, 382 horsepower and 369 pound feet of torque. I don't believe that for a second because it's 0.3 seconds slower to 60 than the M3 competition, which is say five, that say five, that again. 0.3 seconds slower to 60 compared to the 504 horsepower M3 competition. Part of that is the all-wheel drive system that the say it again. The say comp- it again. That's insane. It is insane. Three it also does of a second slower than a 500 horsepower. <laughs> yes. And it is it runs a 12.2 second quarter mile. What? Yeah. This is not a sports car. It's not supposed to be a sports car. It is incredibly fast. And this it has a uh, mild hybrid system now. Yep. Uh, it's something like, I don't know, 11 horsepower or 17 horsepower. But it's it's mostly intended to kind of smooth out the start-stop system. You're never going to notice it when you're driving. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's But it, it, this is an extremely, extremely fast car. On the highway, especially, like, passing was, you know, you just blink of an eye and you're by the vehicle. And um, it's it's quite impressive. I mean, Now, this is, is this the same kind of, like, I always find sometimes um, these vehicles are effortless at passing, but they don't make a scene out of it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it doesn't feel crazy. It doesn't feel like yeah. you're being pushed back. Although there were a couple of times where I ran it up to, like, 100, 110 miles an hour. And my dad was like pushed back in his seat a little bit, and I could tell that he was caught off guard by how much acceleration the car really has. It's yeah. deceptively fast, uh, and it's super smooth. Uh, the, the only time it has an eight-speed automatic transmission, the only time I really caught it off guard was if I think if I was rolling a little bit and I slammed the accelerator, there may be like a half-second hesitation before we the the fireworks started. But that was very rare. Uh, it's I it, think I've been able to replicate that kind of feeling. I think it has something to do with that mild hybrid system. I think the thing is trying is assuming you're you're coming to a stop and wants to turn off the motor and then you catch if if you do it if you time it right or wrong whatever you want to call it it it'll like hesitate. It's possible. Uh, the it's in, in terms of the ride quality though, this is a very stiff car. Uh, I I think BMW in the three series is kind of edging towards that. You know, sometimes a car company wants to make a car feel sporty, so it just stiffens the suspension and the chassis, and it's not always the best option. Because even in comfort mode, I was feeling like, you know, whoop-de-doos in the road and, and expansion joints and stuff. They really transmit into the cabin. It's surprisingly loud. Uh, and I don't think it necessarily translates into a better handling car. Especially since I don't think the BMW chassis is necessarily the best handler in the class anymore. I think kind of the G70 has taken over in terms of feel from behind the wheel. Okay. If, uh, okay. The drivetrains are not comparable, but it's definitely... Not the most nimble car anymore. So that was surprising because, you know, this is a car that is kind of stepping away from being an, a small, compact, executive luxury car and is instead an extremely fast sports sedan that's not particularly engaging in the corners. So it's it's kind of a weird middle ground, Sammy. That is bizarre. But you spent a lot of time in this thing. Yes. And I want to know the road trip ability of it. It was fine. Um, it was. It's it was fine, but that infotainment fine. system is just tedious. It's. It's not great. I mean, it's. Not, it would not be my choice. Um, I kind of feel like the cars like at a fork in the road. Like mm-hmm. so many other German cars have got to where the BMW 3 Series is now with this decontenting inside, the reliance on um, infotainment screens, and the fact that it doesn't 
compare well even to non-premium cars in terms of interior details. I think a lot of mainstream cars are, I don't know if I'd say separating themselves from luxury cars like this in terms of how the cockpits and the cabins look, but... It's a starting... lot of mainstream cars are coming with the same equipment. It's very difficult, I think, if you're saying the technology and equipment is what used to uh, separate luxury cars from mainstream cars. I don't think you're able to do that as, as no, easily as before. It's an austere, austere. Am I saying that right? Kind of car inside. It, it just feels stripped down in a way that I was not expecting from BMW, and certainly not from the M340i, which is the most expensive non, you know, capital M, M car yeah. that you can get from the three series. It's, it's still a good car. But it's not, I think, really separating itself anywhere from the competition except under the hood. Uh, I, I that think might be enough, though. I think that might be enough. It might be, but the G70 is really good, doesn't cost as much, and is probably close to as quick. This is the thing. I, I, I believe a, an M340i is expensive. How much was your, your tester? I, you know what? I didn't look. Okay. That's a, that's a really good question. Um, let me look it up right now. Uh, because, it's... yeah, I think that's one of the things that the Genesis models do exceptionally well. They have, I think, only four trim levels or three trim levels. They could they could easily undercut the competition. Um, it's not complicated to get all the features in a vehicle, unlike uh, a BMW, which requires all this a la carte option adding. So um, it, it starts at 56400 Yeah. Which is a fair amount of money for the car. And it's also yeah. 13000 more than the base 330 but that being said, it's 20,000 less than an M3. And okay. um, yeah. if I was to look at, I'm just going to build one quickly to, mine had X drive, so it's up to 58,000. That's that's the all-wheel drive system. Um, so I'm almost at $60,000 now. And if you start just putting like a few options on the car. Like to, did you have head-up display. Yeah, I have like a driver assistance or, package, which is another, you know, $2,000. Parking package. Um, I, I had... There's a cooling and high-performance tire package, and there's a premium package. So all of this stuff, once I put it on, I'm up to, like, I would say $64,000. So you've narrowed the gap between this car and the M3 to about ten grand. Sure, yeah. And I, I'm not a huge M3 fan. I feel like the M3 is probably overkill for most people who are not going to be on the track every day. Uh, if you want a commuter, the M340 is a much better choice. Um, and you know, by commuter, I guess I just mean daily driver. But, I think those uh, two terms are interchangeable. Yeah. So, I mean, that's it's it's not cheap. It's not super expensive, but I just feel like for this money, I want a cabin that feels special, and I did not get that in this car. That's. Uh, I think that's fair. I think this is something we talked a little bit about when we said the Spectre has this like cabin that doesn't emphasize screens, um, and you said it feels like. You know, Rolls Royce understands the luxury of timeless design, mm. and you now you're showing me a vehicle that just has screens, and that's not timeless. That's not high end. That's not special. You get two screens in almost every car now, right? I mean, yeah, it's hard not to compare this to say the Hyundai Ioniq Six that I drove, which yeah. which had the kind of you know screen first mentality and some buttons. Yeah, but the thing too is, I mean, that's a model that's always had that, right? So I'm not, yeah. I'm not in my mind, I'm not thinking back to a, a version of that car that had a more visually interesting way to display the information that's in front of me. Uh, it, it, the 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 real extreme of it is, I'm driving an EV this week that we'll talk about next week, and it has like the plainest screen that's set deep in the dash, way away from the driver, and that's kind of the style of that car company, mm -hmm. and. 
I'm thinking about that versus BMW, and the, the difference between that and the BMW is the BMW one is closer, it's a larger screen, and it's more featured, but it's the same kind of deal, right? It's 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 yeah. like they're playing on the same field now, and I would not have thought that before. I wouldn't have thought that BMW would be borrowing those kinds of trends for its for its interior, and it's just disappointing. You know, if I didn't care, I wouldn't talk about it. I guess. Yeah, I agree. I understand. I think you're you're right on the money. Um, anything else you want to talk about with the M340? No, I think that's that that kind of covers it. I personally think last year's car is a better buy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm really surprised by that. I mean, the engine is just as sweet the year before. And there's, there's no way it has that kind of horsepower. It, it's definitely yeah. four 450, I think, probably. Sure. Um, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. So <sighs> anyway. Yeah, I hear you. How's your storm doing? It, it has abated a little bit. Uh, yeah. I still have super menacing clouds, but the constant threat of electrocution seems to have, <laughs> have passed me by. Okay, good. So thank you for that, but who knows? You just I, have to get this BMW off your chest, then the clouds disappear. I might be in the middle, like the eye of the supercell. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's possible. <laughs> Ask me again in 10 minutes, and we'll see, okay. we'll see how things are. Well, I mean, I'm going to bore you with some conversation for 10 minutes or so, and then you'll want out for sure. Okay. Um, I'm in the middle of moving. This is a, this is a big deal for me. It's a, it's a big move. And uh, I thought it was a great time to test some um, pickup trucks. Now, I'm moving from a small place, a condo, a condo apartment, into a, into a slightly bigger place. So moving out of a condo, one of the biggest difficulties is getting stuff into a vehicle, um, yes. especially a truck. So um, to help me out with this, I got a Honda Ridgeline, a black edition it's called, uh, which is a, the range topping model, which is odd because it's um, it was colored in white. So I don't know what the black edition really stands for. Um, <laughs> what? Wait, what? say that again. This is a black edition, but it was white. Yeah. The okay. black edition is a trim level. It's not a it, it doesn't mean anything. It's no, I know. It's bizarre but... that that's a that that's a, 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 a nomenclature that Honda has adopted. But usually right? when you name something after a color, would it not behoove you to include that color in the vehicle? Like, <laughs> otherwise, what's the point? Nothing. I got nothing. It's annoying. Um, but the Ridgeline was a great fit for me because um, it, it goes right into my condo parking lot. It's got a decent-sized bed for most of my furniture. Um, it has good – like I could tie things down. Uh, it also has this uh, – I found the I found the actual practicality of the vehicle kind of impressive. So it has this underbed storage, a, a pretty big trunk um, that you can just store some extra stuff in. And the rear seats in the vehicle have that magic seat kind of setup that the Honda Fit has in which they raise uh, – the seat bottom raises up and locks up. And then you've got like a flat floor to put all your stuff in. So I found that to be like like really practical. Um, in addition to that, I mean the engine isn't anything part- like special. It's the same old uh, 3.5 liter V6 that Honda has in like everything uh, with, 200, with 280 horsepower. I'm – I'm just mentioning that because the fuel efficiency was actually pretty decent. I got about 24 miles per gallon, which I think uh, last week we were talking about what was that uh, color? No, not Colorado Canyon, right? Yes. And the Canyon got what? 19. Yeah. 19. Yeah. So I've got a V6 in this and it's doing, and I'm, I was, I was, I was hauling stuff with uh, in the bed and I was finding it to be pretty decent in terms of fuel efficiency. Um, and, um, the only things that I didn't love about it is that it just looks a little dated inside. Um, the infotainment system is particularly um, really boring and, unco- and cumbersome to use. You have a, and there's a volume knob now, though, right? There is a volume knob, yes, for sure. 
Um, and I even had some weird issues with the infotainment system where it was trying to turn on Android Auto for like the entirety of my drive and never, never actually succeeded. So, and I, it actually restarted once while in motion the uh, the infotainment system altogether. So those were my biggest complaints about it. But other than that, I found a great. I had a great. Uh, I had a great go in it. We're so accepting of things like that now, eh? Like when when an infotainment system just reboots. And we're just yeah, like, oh, I mean, okay, I guess that's what I happens. Like, if I'm in the middle of a, like, imagine you're coming up to an exit on the uh, on on the highway or something, right? And it just restarts. Now, granted, it maybe took a minute or maybe two minutes, but you could miss an exit in that time. You could totally time, miss right? an exit, yeah. Um, or you could miss a really important part of someone's podcast. That's true, yes. Um, I also just want to add, it's an accessible vehicle. Because I'm going to say this mainly because... Um, after I moved everything out of my new place and into storage, I got a bigger truck, a Toyota Tundra, 2023 Toyota Tundra. It's the SR model with a double cab, which isn't the biggest cab, but it has a big old 6.5 foot bed, which is, I thought was going to be pretty practical. Unfortunately, my wife had a really serious issue getting in and out of this Tundra. It has no sidestep. That's my number one concern. It's, um, really high off the ground. It doesn't have the same kind of storage capabilities in the bed as the as the Ridgeline has, um, and it also has sort of under rear seat storage, but it's in a bin, so that kind of limits how you can throw stuff into the um, back of the vehicle. So you can't kind of just throw things in on nilly willy, which I think is much more practical. If you don't, you don't want to care about per- per- placing something particularly. No, right? but the, but the bin is useful if you have stuff you carry all the time. Yeah. And you don't want it rolling so. around. Like tools or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing too is, I mean, for your specific usage uh, of the trucks, the, mm-hmm. the Tundra was not the best option. But if you were towing, it would be different. I think you're right. The, 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 I mean, it's probably, I know you're right. The towing capacity of a Ridgeline is only like 5,000 pounds while a Tundra can tow like, I'm sure I have the figure here. Let me, let me make sure it's I got it. probably between like seven and nine or something like that. Uh, yeah, eight, the, my model in particular, eight point, uh, eight point eight thousand three hundred yeah. uh, pounds, I which mean, is that's, a ton. That's, a pretty that's like 50%, difference. over 50% more, right? <laughs> um, but I'm going to be blunt. I don't think that this Tundra is particularly great to drive. It's super stiff, um, really uncomfortable. You feel every shimmy or pothole um, on the road. And the, the new city that I'm moving to just doesn't know how to make roads properly, apparently. So... Um, it was a real pain in the butt all the time. Um, in addition to that, awful on gas. Simply brutal on fuel. Um, and that's because this thing runs a a new motor, as far as I understand, to the to the um, Tundra, which is a twin turbo V6. It yes. has 350, 358 horsepower um, and 406 pound feet of torque. It it it. Feels pretty quick. It can get up to speed pretty quickly, but uh, that's about it. I mean, it really. And I'm constantly throwing it in the eco mode, and that tends to automatic eco mode. Huh? You love that eco mode. I needed you know, like, that eco mode. I feel this like this thing was getting. Uh, what is what is this mileage in 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 miles per gallon? Let me get. I know that right. you know how those giant uh, emergency brakes in drift cars where they like stick up away from the yeah. center console. I feel like you would love a big lever that was just like eco mode. You could just, like, you could just pull <laughs> that like you're at you're at a one arm bandit in Vegas and just like crank that eco, eco mode on. Mode. 
Yeah. Um, now the issue is that even in eco mode and uh, and and driving around, I still met and mostly highway. I still managed only eighteen liters, eighteen miles per gallon. You know, I we had a a listener um, right into to us on Instagram this week. Thomas, shout out. Oh to no, is he is he going to say that he bought a Tundra and he loves it? And no, what he said was <laughs> so he has a, he, he was in a 2019 Ram. It's a crew cab without e torque, so it's like the base 5.7. And mm. in response to the fuel mileage of the Canyon last week, he's getting 20 mile per gallon. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Am I and that's wrong? That's a full size truck, right? With like a V8, with, no. With a V8, and not only a V8, but a V8 with no like 48 volt assistance or anything like that. It has cylinder de- deactivation, I think. I'm not sure. It might. <laughs> it might. And it's uh, it, yeah. Why am I? Why am I so? Sh- so I'm I'm justified in my shock. Am I right? Yeah. Also, okay. I want to. I just want to say we were talking about safari cars, and Thomas had a a really good suggestion. He wants to see an E24 six series, so like an '80s era BMW six series yeah. as a safari car. Massive That's side, a- massive AT tires. On one of those. <laughs> that is and, a and strong dark horse choice that I have never considered. Oh, so cool. Yeah. That sounds like something I would see in like the most extreme customization feature of like a Need for Speed. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, exactly. It's very, it's very <laughs> cinematic slash video game esque. Like because it's it, so just, cool. it has that sharp profile that I think would be look really neat. Uh, you know, in the desert. <laughs> um, other things I want to mention about this um, SR trim Tundra doesn't have blind spot monitoring. Doesn't have parking sensors. It's a huge truck. Would love those both of those features. Um, especially someone as, such as myself who is not as uh, not as what's the word I'm looking for familiar with with full size pickup trucks, and um, the rear seats are awful in this double cab. This is not for for people, man. Like it's just that's it. That's the only thing I can say. Um, everyone in my whole family had trouble getting in into this vehicle and having uh, a comfortable experience in it. Well, that's not a great. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like, I should also add, it was, uh, it has an as tested price of fifty thousand dollars. So it's very, very close to the BMW I just drove. Yeah. I mean, come on. I know which one I'd take. Yeah, the BMW does have a pretty decent backseat. <laughs> yeah. So, so I, that's my experience of these of these uh, trucks, and uh, I, I know that the Ridgeline gets a lot of flack for not being a real truck, yeah. based on uh, it's a unibody truck. But I think if the use case is right, like myself, when I was losing it in the city and moving moving stuff in the city and having some family or, or whatever, it really worked well. And I'm not a big fan of either of those trucks, to be honest. I feel mm-hmm. like the new Tundra is kind of a whiff and the Ridgeline is almost there in a number of ways, but yeah. not quite. It's like I drive the Ridgeline and then I drive a Maverick and I know these are not the same segment, but it's the same kind of concept. Like the Ridgeline is like a larger unibody truck and the Maverick is a smaller unibody truck. I just feel like Ford got it more right with the Maverick than Honda did with the Ridgeline in a few ways. Well, I mean, I think I imagine the difference to be just the platform, right? The 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 Ridgeline is based on the Pilot and the Passport, which I think is a little bit older. And it's also – those are bigger um, vehicles that are trying – like the Passport is this really weird in-between. It thinks it's a, it's like a, an off-road body uh unibody truck and it doesn't quite feel like like a wrangler competitor or a forerunner competitor yeah yeah. and then um on the other hand so it has so so as a platform i think it's a bit compromised and then on the other hand the the maverick is based on the escape and the bronco sport which are pretty capable soft rotors really comfort and practicality oriented 
rather than anything else. So I think their compromises make more sense for the segment. I would right? love a Ridgeline hybrid. Yeah. I think that course. would be I think that that would be a killer app for Honda in the pickup space because now we have the Tundra hybrid that's not, you know, I mean I haven't driven it yet. Uh, but the package around it isn't isn't spectacular. The Ford has a hybrid, but no one else does, right? These are the only two companies that are that are stepping up to the plate with hybrid pickups. And I think you know Honda, not historically known for building a ton of hybrids, they're much better in recent years. Yeah, I think that that would be something. I I would be interested in that vehicle. I think we we saw an appetite for the Maverick that I don't think we were expecting. No, I don't think anyone was expecting that. I, was think that the, was... I think the pricing really helped. But you can't see Toyota t- taking the RAV4 and throwing the trunk out and putting a bed there remember, and, sh- and selling it for the same price. But remember like 10 years ago when Toyota had well, – it must be more than that now – had the ABAT? Do you remember the ABAT? The ABAT? A-BAT no? concept. It was what their, are you talking about? They, they had a small unibody pickup truck concept. I need they, to see this. They never built it. And I feel like – Honda could build a smaller Ridgeline. I think they kind of have a platform that would work for that. I mean, why not, you know, a CRV pickup truck? It's, I, I'm How just throwing that out there. How long have you been sitting on this ABAT? Advanced Breakthrough Aero Truck. How long have you been sitting on this? 2007. <laughs> you pulled that deep cut out of nowhere. I'm never not thinking about the ABAT. <laughs> That's the reality. It's been almost 15 years and it's it's still like still there lodged in my brain. Yeah, Did ABAT. Did you see the live reveal of this or something? The closest we ever got to ABAT was the Scion XB Aero Deck. <laughs> or I guess the BB as it was called in, in, in Japan. Was it Aero yeah. Deck? I can't remember the exact name. Something Deck. And it was like the pickup truck version of the Scion XB. It was super impractical because I think the the open cargo area was like literally the size of a human torso. Like it's almost no <laughs> almost no space. But still a cool unibody concept that we just never got here. Yeah. Sport I wonder deck? If, I don't know. if the if the success of the Maverick or I don't know about the, the success, the popularity of the Maverick will get copycats. I hope it does. I mean, we we got the Santa, the Hyundai Santa Cruz, which is a really great truck, uh, but too expensive. Not too expensive, but more expensive, and I think less compelling in its cheap versions. The cool thing about the Maverick is like, even the cheap ones are pretty cool. The hand, the Hyundai. I really like the the upscale version, but I don't like the base motor. Yeah, and I feel like again they kind of missed the boat on offering a hybrid there too. Uh, but again. I keep saying again. With Hyundai, again. you never know what's going to happen. Like this, they're wild cards. So we, we could get that truck. I love, I love you have that catchphrase. Like you have, I know you. You have like probably a, a corkboard with all the automakers. No, this corkboard just have. has ABAT pictures on it. <laughs> and you have uh, Toyota. I know what's coming next. It's going to be a, a Prius Prime or whatever. You've got uh, a Honda, and you're like maybe new Ridgeline question mark. And then you've got like Nissan, and, uh, complete uh, complete disaster. And then you've got like Hyundai wildcard. Like yeah, you don't know. Could be anything. Could be anything. It you wouldn't know what? surprise any- me if tomorrow Hyundai announced a full-size truck. Like, it wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> I'd be like, okay, that, that clocks. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, talk to me. You know what wouldn't surprise me? You and this insane – What was it a Charger or a Challenger story that you've been working on? Oh, so 
I don't know if I mentioned this on the podcast, but a couple of months ago, there's a town that's on the island of Montreal, and every year they hold a town-wide garage sale, and they do like a they have bands and like cookouts and stuff, but it's really fun. It's about like 40 minutes from my house, which kind of gives you an idea of how big Montreal is uh, as an island. In any case. The last, the last one that I went to, I was, you know, you kind of cruise around on these twisty suburban streets and you, you stop at the garage sales that appeal to you. And I stopped and I, I was walking by this garage that was open and I saw a plum crazy muscle car in the garage. And then I looked again and I was like, that's not, I've never seen that before in my life. And I walked up to it and I'm looking at it and this guy comes up next to me and I assume he's the owner. And I asked him, I'm like, is this a Brazilian charger? And he, he you says, said that? He, yeah, I said that to him. And he how said, do you, "How do you know about the? What is this?" Okay, Brazilian... first of all, never not thinking about ABAT, never not thinking about Brazilian Charger. Brazilian Charger. So he looks at me. He's like, "You're the only person <laughs> who has ever successfully known what this is." And then um, you tried to talk to him about the ABAT, and he just then he's walked like, away. I was like, "Well, it's it's my job, you know. Like, I'm not a civilian, so like, I I, I think about." <laughs> I think about cars all the time. He's like, I had another, he's like one of, he mentioned the name of a colleague of mine in Montreal. And he's like, he approached me, but he didn't know it was Brazilian. He just knew it was not, you know, unique. It was not something that you would buy in North America. But so for those who aren't familiar, the Brazilian Charger was built exclusively for Brazil from like 1969, kind of, kind of from 69 to 1981. So what Chrysler did was they had, you know, you, people are probably really familiar with the Australian Charger, right? You've heard of that, right, Sammy? No, man. So they made they made a Charger that wasn't really a Charger in Australia, and they gave it a, a six-cylinder engine that had a Hemi head. And it was very unique, um, and around exactly the same time period as they were building the Brazilian Charger, because their operations in, in Australia were separate from the mothership. Was, I thought it was a Valiant. I thought it, it, was a- it, it was a Valiant, but it was called a Charger. It was a Valiant Charger, and it was based on roughly the same platform as the Dart, I guess, the A-body platform. And when they took the A-body platform to Brazil, for the first two years, they made the sedan. And, and it was, you know, it was it was a Dart, I think. it was That's how it was marketed. But they came out with a coupe in, like, 71, I want to say. Mm-hmm. And then uh, they decided to just name it Charger. And not only did they name it the Charger, but they took some of the styling concepts that we had in North America. So it has the the fully covered headlights up front, like you would see on a Charger from that era. And it has the flying buttresses at the back. They extended the C-pillar down to the top of the fenders, which gives it a very different profile compared yeah. to a dark coupe. Yeah, yeah. So this car was never sold here. And according to the owner, he has the only one in North America. He's never encountered another one. And he bought it when he was 17 years old in 1989 in Brazil. He imported it in like 2008. He came to Canada in 2001. Eventually he had enough garage space and he brought the car over himself. Uh, He does all the mechanical work on it. It has a three, it, it started out with a 318, which was what they all had. That was, it was the most powerful car pretty much in Brazil for that era because Ford made a V8 version of the Maverick in Brazil. But it also came in more common four-cylinder and six-cylinder models. And then GM had a car called the Opala, which was like an Opal record that they kind of combined with Impala elements and called it the yeah. Opala. And that was a V6 or a straight six, I think, 250 yeah. cubic inch. And it was powerful, but it wasn't a V8. So the street wars when the gentleman that I, I met was growing up, it was all Opala versus the um, the Charger. And he and his friends, they had like a little warehouse when they were when they were younger, where they would just wrench on each other's cars. And he he 
built this car up to have like a mild cam, repainted it the plum crazy, which is a color they didn't get down there. What was it before that? It was white. He bought it from the original owner's estate and it was white with the black vinyl top. He eventually brought it to Canada. The 318 munched itself. It like broke a valve spring and he had a lot of lobe wear. So he put in, he bought a, a stroker, a 408 stroker V8 from Summit Racing, put that in, has like a really wild cam in it now. And he put a five speed in, um, but the, the body itself, it, the, the car looks exactly like what you would have seen in the seventies, aside from the color. Uh, he had Thank the, he, because it had a vinyl roof, these cars had like a reputation for, they would get water underneath the roof at the front near the windshield. And mm-hmm. also that metal piece that extended the buttresses at the back, it just mm-hmm. turns to dust. Like, cause the welds from the era were total crap, just uh. like garbage. So he had, uh, that piece completely remade in steel and, and put on a few years ago to kind of fix the corrosion he had, but the car is gorgeous. Um, he's done all the work himself. As I mentioned, it still has the original air conditioning system. That's for, that's functional, but you pop the hood and it's super clean in the engine bay. The interior is very nice. What's funny, these cars. So until about 1979, it was the same body style from like 71 to 79. And then they imported this, like they took kind of the front of a 1973 dart and the back of a 1974 dart and made this mishmash. And they only ran, I think they, they they had the Charger and they had a, a Magnum, which was like a more luxurious coupe, but they only kept the RT version, which was the high performance one for a year. And then they got rid of that. It was all because Volkswagen bought Chrysler's operations in Brazil at that time because Chrysler yeah. was super bankrupt. Yeah, yeah. And if you look on the dash for like a 1981, the last year of the Charger in Brazil, it actually has Volkswagen trucks on the VIN number. <laughs> so not the dash, the firewall where the plate is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's which is pretty funny. Um, in any case, idea. it's about two hundred and five horsepower or something, and uh, for the base models, and there was a higher compression motor that was about two hundred and thirty horsepower. Uh, originally, it was it was a fun car to drive around. I rode in the four hundred and eight cubic inch version he had. It's totally wild, like neck snapping acceleration and Whoa. intense sound, and it's it's just a blast. But it's crazy because this is just a car that doesn't exist here. Like no yeah. no one is importing Brazilian cars, and in Brazil, it's kind of the opposite because in the in the past you weren't Brazil blocked all the imports of cars from like nineteen seventy four to the early nineties because they were trying to foster their own like local industry for automotive so when they lifted those restrictions people who had money in brazil started bringing over tons of american muscle and Mm -hmm. because the dart had been so inexpensive and kind of disposable there were disposed of there probably weren't any there are not many left there so it's not at least in decent shape to bring over here and work and like work on right exactly exactly amazing how did it feel to to like again this is you've got to know what the heck you're we're looking at how long did it take for you to figure that out when you just saw it? It's literally like 10 seconds because you You're look crazy. No, because you look at the car. You've heard of, so when have you heard about the Brazilian Charger story? How long ago? Did I mean, you hear Sammy, about? there was an entire Fast and Furious movie that took place in Brazil. Do you not remember yes, that? Yes, I remember that. Okay. Okay. But what I'm saying is I, if you look at a car that you're from, like the, the dark shape is, is familiar, right? Yeah. But everything else about it is yeah. like, it's like the uncanny valley. You know, like it's when a, they, But I imagine you would have looked at me like, is that a kit car? No, 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 not a kit car. When you, when, you know, when you look at like something that's animated and it's, it's not, it's a little too human. Like it's more human than human and it makes you uncomfortable. <laughs> like yeah. remember that Polar Express movie that Tom Hanks was in? Yeah, with the dead eyes. Yeah. So it's kind of like that. It's like you're looking at this muscle car and everything about it is familiar except for like key elements that make it look like, wow, somebody really, this is, 
this is um, it's like an alternate universe version of a car you're familiar with. And yeah. then it clicked in my mind because I know what the Australian one looks like. And I know this yeah. is I know this isn't it. Yeah. And also the steering wheel is on the right side of the road. That's right. So, so the next thought is this has to be a Brazilian charger. That's so cool. Um, I, I sent a picture of it to friend of the show, Alana Cher, who is a huge Mopar fanatic, has a bunch of Mopars. And her mm-hmm. response was, is that the Brazilian dart? <laughs> <laughs> like I knew immediately she would pick up on it. But yeah, it's That's just awesome. it's just because you pick up on what's different and then you put the clues together in your mind. And it doesn't take too long to do that um, because I was so into American metal uh, and American muscle, sorry, when I was younger. So like I guess I just have these templates like that are like, it's, you know, it's just American muscle and, and a bat in my head and it just spills over like that. Like it's, I'm not capable of doing this. Like I, you know, we have another friend, uh, Matt St. Pierre, who's a, yes, another Matt. auto journalist and he can look at like any Volkswagen from any era. <laughs> no, everything about everything it. about it. Like absolutely everything, everything. like how many years it was in production and what features it had, what it was called in Europe. Like I can't do that with European cars necessarily, <laughs> but I, I, I guess I have the gift of, of being a, the, the Brazilian muscle car guy. <laughs> There you go. Well, that's good enough. It got you a whole cool story out of it. Yeah, it's going to um, be. I, I, I submitted that to Haggerty this week. So once it goes live, I'll put a link in the show notes and you guys can check that out. I took a bunch of pictures of the car, too. And, and the shooting that color is great. That purple is just like, it just totally pops, even in bright sunlight. Well, there wasn't a storm going on in Montreal like there is no, now. No, I mean, right now, like, we're if we go back to the storm lodge, it's it's pretty menacing. But I feel safe, question mark. I feel like you haven't gone to your basement to see what the floods are. You're probably no, floating down I'm, the street. It's all over my freezer. Like, how does it Ugh. even get that high in the air, man? My goodness. One okay. Of my helmets got wet. Oh, no. Oh, Ew. Okay. Well, we're going to let Ben uh, go and handle that because he's dedicated way too much time to the podcast. If you want to listen to more of our podcasts, it's very easy to do that. You head on over to our website, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. And when you're there, you'll see all sorts of previous episodes. We've got over 300 episodes for you to enjoy. It's not paywalled or locked behind any paywall um, or Or, gate. Or rotating wall of clouds. Yes. Um, We've also got um, a, a method of subscribing to us on the website there's a bunch of buttons at the top of the website for all sorts of podcatchers or if you don't if if you use a brand new podcatcher um or you're listening to this in the future Welcome. you can just search for us unnamed automotive podcast and we'll be there and uh, uh if you want to find us on social media you can do that it, like like Thomas did and reached out with uh with his suggestions and and actually very welcome uh, opinions about field mileage, which I agree with. You can do that in a couple of ways. I'm on Instagram at Hunting Benjamin. Sammy prefers the cesspool that is Twitter, although Twitter is kind of falling apart right now. He's at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. Or you can email us the old fashioned way, Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com, or you know, fill out the contact form on the website, automot- unnamed automotivepodcast.com, and that goes right to our inbox. Sammy, uh, I'm also on. I'm also on Threads. Oh, okay. Well, I don't, I don't see know why you would ever tell anyone. <laughs> Um, what are you talking about next week? Next week, I'm going to be talking about the Toyota BZR4X TY-SNW. I, just a whole bunch of consonants. <laughs> it's an electric car. I have feelings about it, Sammy. Okay, I can't wait to hear that. I, I'm i just completing my move, so I can tell you what more uh, I don't like about the Tundra next week. Or I can talk about um, a race I'm attending, the, uh, the new Honda Indy. All right. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening, and we will see you next week. Bye.